Hello, everyone, and welcome to the short horror story feature on the Author Podcast Show. I'm your host, Lauren Eason, and we'll be enjoying these frightening stories every Friday through Halloween. So, sit back, relax, and try not to run. This week's short horror story feature goes to Katherine Jordan and her story called The Death Party. Set in the 1840s, a mysterious bookish woman invites several of her writer friends to a Halloween party, where things take a turn for the worse. You can find Katherine Jordan on her website at katherinejordan.com. You can also find her on social sites like Facebook and Twitter. She also has a couple of novels that she's written that I will provide a link for in the bio of this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the death party. Dine and dance and bring a family ghost. I pocketed Legia's invite. November 1st happened to be an unusually blustery evening. A storm threatened on the horizon and I hoped to make it to the masquerade party before we got caught in a deluge. I held open the carriage door for Rowena. Darling, quickly, I called to her as she ambled towards the handsome in her heels, the wind tossing her fair hair. She let out a yelp while scrambling inside. I smiled, quite pleased with her wild yet flattering untamed appearance. Frankly, I despise formal evenings and wouldn't have agreed to this one had it not been for my completed novel. My manuscript sat unpublished on my desk. I was especially anxious to meet the newly famous author Nathaniel Hawthorne and his wife Sophia. I'd explained to Arena several times how I wanted to impress our hostess, Legia. Raven-haired and dark-eyed Legia brushed elbows with publishers, editors, and the one um, and the who, who the who's who in the writing industry. No doubt they would be all at her bash. Driver, do hurry. As feared, we were the last to arrive, the last coach in the horseshoe driveway, Legia's dramatic Gothic mansion with its arched windows and pointed towers set prominently atop a manicured hill in the middle of the neighborhood. Wide lawns, thick trees, and friendly gates surrounded the homes in Baltimore. Overcrowded tree limbs intermingled overhead, and a screech owl called through the bombing the balmy dusk. A journalist friend of mine warned the house was haunted. Something about Legia's matriarchal ancestry, speculation on lineage traced back to some large old decaying city near the Rhine and their voyage to America. The Baltimore mansion had been constructed in the late 1700s, a replica of their home overseas. Legia's family brought the original foundation stones, including rumor um, said the very ones used to erect a a pier upon which her 16th century relation had been burned for witchcraft. I did not trust rumors. However, I'd come to learn if people repeat the same rumor often enough, then there must be some truth to it. Her house was no more than 50 yards away, yet I counted the distance in heartbeats as we slowly approached. Uncertain of its truth, I gazed out my window, absorbed in reverie, thinking it too exquisite, too powerful. Rowena leaned over and upward. What is that? I glanced at the rooftop, careful to keep a good eye on the cab in front of us. A singular gargoyle, its rings spread and ready for flight, perched above the highest column, stared down at us in contempt. A rain spout, quite popular in European culture and architecture. There's symbolism behind those animal busts, of which I have little knowledge. That one is a bird of prey, I think. But it has a human face. It's screaming. The open mouth is a gullet. I said. That's where water flows out and away from the building. It's ghastly. 
she said. I patted her knee as a tune reached my ears. Adds to tonight's atmosphere, don't you think? A string quartet played outside the front door under the portico. Situated between Corinthian columns, they greeted the guests with welcoming music, offering a graceful tune. Funny how I hadn't heard them until now, and those vibrations would turn grinding, the last sound of tension when the revelry ended. Our driver opened the cab door and extended his hand to me in assistance. I hesitated. The last of the autumn sun had descended just as the lights in the house brightened. Releasing my reluctance with a sigh, I took the driver's hand, nodding to him in thanks. He cleared his throat. Sir, the hitching area is full. I'll have to go down the hill, beyond the gates. Right. Didn't matter to me, since he'd be the one to fetch the carriage. I adjusted my billowy blouse and contemplated the atmosphere, the somber music, the looming front door. A sudden thunderclap accompanied a fine mist of rain. Legia's front door opened, groaning on its hinges in tune with a cello. How vast the entry seemed when cleared of people. Not that the house was empty. The murmur of voices supplemented a ring of laughter in the adjacent room. Bodily musk and expensive perfumery lingered, as did an unidentifiable spice. I was too aware of our heels echoing along the stone floor as we crossed the double-height oak entry hall to greet Legia. A showcase of portraits lined the hall walls. All women, similar faces held faultless foreheads and eyes like divine orbs. Nameplates gave the small moniker of sorts. Magiria, Magia, Liza, hmm. Paintings of Mother, Grandmare, and Great-Gran, said Legia, quite proudly. All beautiful, I said, then gave a slight bow and greeting. Although Legia had a strangeness in her features, she looked undeniably modern and striking with her hair cascading over a fitted black robe. Rowena frowned upon her hostess's attire. She should have at least worn a mask, Rowena should, uh, would whine later. Legia's ordinary garment led, uh, let down certain expectations, for custom declared that Legia's hostess dressed particularly outlandish. Inclined to agree, she and I would also comment upon the ostentatious emerald ring gleaming on her forefinger. Gertrude, the housekeeper, stood at Legia's shoulder. Her steady hands held out a brass tray waiting, waiting, I suppose, for the last attendee. The butler stepped forward, the only male servant that evening probably employed to keep the men at ease. Your card? he asked me, and I promptly handed over our RSVP. The wait staff will be around to offer gin and cordials, and a special concoction called poison cider. Tall and slender, Legia raised her long neck, her larynx prominent as she swallowed. She winked. It's not really poisonous. I laughed and pulled Rowena to the Ora Devores table. Arranged for fun and mischief, the staff had decorated the voluptuous banquet hall in black and red and orange. Tables arranged along the sides of the room left the floor clear for dancing. A centerpiece of sunflowers and black taper candles sat upon the tablecloth. Strips of black fringed paper draped every chair in every room's archway. Harvest moonlight filtered in through arch-stained glass windows whose color accorded with the decor. The gaudy chandelier crystals twinkled in that same warm hue. Festive yeast, doughnuts, apples, grapes, and the highly anticipated soul cakes adorned the buffet table. Sweet, warm molasses bubbled over a fire in the tall brick fireplace in, it, in its light-burned extreme. Servants dressed gaily in black with fringed aprons and bright red caps. They made eight figure eights around the room, yielding trays of champagne and handing out flutes indiscriminately. 
She must have cats, I said to Rowena, my eyes already itching and noting the white and gray ha wired hairs on guest backs and hems. The evidence is on their skirts. Oh, uh, Rowena's voice dropped to a whisper. I forgot to mention that someone told me Legeria owns dozens of felines. I sneezed. Why, for heaven's sake? Rowena shushed me. Shh. Her family breeds them and then sells the kittens for a penny. Hopefully they're locked away for the evening. I patted my pocket for a handkerchief. I'll wager one dollar that at least one sneaks out before the night is over. Rowena gave me a sly smile. Done. By eight o'clock, guests drank merrily with the party in full swing. The band remained outside under the portico's, uh, the portico's cover. Music flowed in softly through the open windows. Elaborate, pretentious get-ups got in everyone's way as people moved about the room. Sleeves dipped into the cider, feet tripped over skirts, wigs dropped over eyes. The wind, it blasted through the stained glass window, a darkened portrayal of the gargoyle atop her roof whipping the tablecloth and rattling the dishes. The crowd gasped, a creak followed by a bang as the butler latched the window shut. Drama now aside, the room's chatter quite quickly rose again to its boisterous level. A cocktail tray floated past as I milled about. Already intoxicated on particularity, uh, peculiarity, I took a gin libation and then linked Rowena's slender arm in mine. Come, let's mingle. I made some show of knowing my way through the crowd, but truthfully, I didn't recognize a soul. Is this an annual fair? I asked a red-masked gentleman dressed as a phantom. It is. His voice was low and husky, added a genuine flair to his costume. Upon closer inspection, the mummer's mask so closely resembled a rotting corpse that all I did was shudder with disgust. I've been, I've been coming since I was a child. This is the family summer solstice house. "'You know her well?' I asked, taking a step back. The phantom bowed and took a swig of his drink. "'Indeed. I've got a home here.' He looked down his black-red nose at me. "'Like Gia's family is said to be a reserved matriarchal clan, steeped in tradition. One of those traditions is this annual celebration, the gathering her way of saying goodbye to friends and neighbors before moving back west for the winter.' My parents used to attend. Ligia is as clever as her mother, brilliant, in fact, amusing, conversational, admired by all the right people. Not all the right people, said a navy-clad man, his, uh, regal his regala, an ode to the Napoleonic War. The Scarlet Phantom raised his glass. They are practical women. Well, I believe most women are practical. And foolish, said the man in the navy. Rowena took to fidgeting her colorful skirts. The red-masked phantom humped. Hmm. Mon monetary foolishness was n has not afflicted her, clearly. Those women aren't normal, the blue man again. Have you noticed her piney perfume? The fragrance comes from the candles, said a pixie of a woman in white with her ma mask heavily decorated in colorful jewels and feathers. Her voice held a helium-high tone, wavering, drunken. She gave me a short curtsy and introduced herself as Sophia. Smells like a Christmas tree. The blue man thumbed his nose. She smells like camphor to mask the scent of Satan. Aghast, I wondered if they were serious. No smiles, no jeers. These people didn't seem to like Legia. I resisted the temptation to look at Rowena for corroboration for my, of my thoughts. Why were these so-called friends even here? Had to be for bragging purposes. 
A tall figure shrouded in ghostly white, this man, a partner to the smaller woman, wore a detour pest mask, the plague doctor. Detour pest mask, the plague doctor, beak-like protrusion at the nose. He gave me a broad smile. The butler, the old man is the devil himself. I hear he fathered all the women. No, Nathaniel, the four women are, are one and the same, said the pixie, correcting the tall specter, her husband. Psh. Peshwa, I said. The alcohol had done its job well, perhaps too well. From the looks of everyone, they had indulged in at least two cocktails. Some had already passed out in their chairs. Can't be true, said the phantom. I met her father, her real father. He was an officer, died in the war. Oh, come now, I said, then took another sip of gin. Marina's plate of salted oysters remained untouched. The pixie held her plate, picked up a shell, and slurped greedily. is a medium of sorts. A cacophony of voices all spoke up in agreement. Nonsense, I said. Gertrude weaved through the room like an, un, un, like an oncoming blithe. The aroma of garlic and rosemary reached my nose before she did. She set a silver plate of garlic rubbed chicken on, in the cleared center of the table. There are bones, Gertrude warned with a flare of her nostrils. She folded her hands in front and then sauntered away. Thankfully, the mood raised when someone played a dirge on the piano. People began forming a circle around Legia. What now? I whispered, giving Rowena a stupefied glare. The invite stated that all were to bring a ghost. You serious? I asked, fork poised over my plate. Not a literal spirit, she said, eyeing me. A game. A ghost is a token piece from home used to inspire a ghost story. Should be perfect for you, a writer. Ah, but even my own imagination could not compare with the unparalleled characters and objects at hand. This very room, the gray draperies, the morbid garments, the sense of insufferable anxiety, all provided rich material from which to spin a tale. Legia struck her champagne flute with her emerald ring. I winced as the ting bounced inside my head from ear to ear. Sophia, Legia said, would you mind starting? Sophia, the inebriated pixie. She hopped forward with glee, her face alight, then reached down and removed her floppy shoe, thwacking the red brogan in the air. My ghost is a shoe. Heads nodded in delight. This story begins on a night much like this. Now, most of you know we have twin boys. One night, Nathaniel and I had a dinner invitation, and our nanny had fallen ill, so we had to call the service. They sent over a night nurse, a new girl. Our home was va has valuable trinkets and memorabilia from Nathaniel's travels, and the service is quite reputable. Anyway, we have large statues in the house. One of the statues grins, gave me the willies, and— Oh, Sophia, you're telling it all wrong, said Nathaniel with an eye roll, holding the room hostage at that moment. We expressly told the nurse to stay in the room with the boys, who'd also been ill and prone to nightmares. The nurse reported they'd had the same one about a clown coming in their room. I told her to gather the children. We didn't own a clown statue. No, Rowena exclaimed. Nathaniel chuckled. It's a story, dear girl, that's all. Applause clapped through the room. Meanwhile, Sophia turned to her husband, teetering. We don't have a clown statue? She asked with genuine surprise on her face. Nathaniel sighed with irritation. Yes, we do, but you weren't supposed to say that in the story. Nathaniel addressed the group. We have many effigies. One in particular, a pilgrim sculpture from England, stands in our library. Ligeia is familiar with its pointed-hatted nose. The cloak resembles a witch's cape. But don't mention the clown next time, Sophia. You ruined the ending, and we don't even have children. Ligeia's hand cups at Sophia's elbow, steadying her. No, Sophia, remember? The clown ate them? 
Legia licked her lips and slurped. Nathaniel gave a cruel chuckle in initiating the crowd into mirth. His wife's chin began to tremble. She looked around at the attentive group, her face, her white face fallen. I think I shall take my leave. Nathaniel guided Sophia away to a chair, whispering to her with admonishment. What a horrid shenanigan. I gave her an expression, showing that I wanted no part of this game. I have a story, claimed the phantom. My ghost sits on top of your house. Legia raised her flute. My friend, the antique dealer, thanks to your grandfather's antique shop, the water spout from my former home now sits atop this one. Indeed, said the phantom, his face darkened. Let me tell you about the first family to live within this foundation. The banquet hall got a trifle smaller, the quarters warmer, tighter. They lived a mother of twelve dainty girls. Father was a farmer. He'd never been well-to-do since he had so many mouths to feed and so few strong backs to harvest. When mother conceived her thirteenth child, she had no idea how to care for another baby. Moments after giving birth, seeing this last one was yet another worthless girl. For back then, only men were considered viable farmhands. Mother held up her blood-birth-soaked child and proclaimed, Let this one be the devil's. Mother got her wish. Her newborn daughter sprouted horns and claws and backlight wings. She killed her mother and siblings before perching upon the house, warring anyone who dared claim this home as theirs. The gargoyle roosting on Legia's roof came to mind, an image of a damned afterlife. Ha, <laughs> Legia exclaimed, raising her glass again, and I am that daughter. Hear, hear, chanted the crowd. Madam, Gertrude said to Legia from behind, the soul cakes have been served. She lowered her tray, presenting small round mounds of cake, each ice with orange frosting. The soul cakes, Legia said, accepting the first offering. She raised her plate for show. Isn't this lovely? All sorts of sinfully delicious and forbidden fruits are baked inside. She popped a piece into her open mouth, moaning with delight and licking icing from her fingertips. Confused, I turned to the phantom and said, I thought these were to be given out to beggars. Here we are the beggars, he said. Gertrude offered cake to Rowena, smiling graciously. Rowena shook her head and placed a hand over her belly. No, thank you, I'm full. That was news to me. Rowena hadn't eaten all day in anticipation of this event, and she had yet to take a bite. Perhaps she felt as uncomfortable as I did. Nathaniel's wife, however, proved to be a glutton. Mean hex, said Sophia. I love plums, and I hope I get a soul with a juicy plum baked inside. Careful, Gertrude said. There's pits. When Gertrude ambled off to serve others, Sophia shoved the cake in her mouth. A soul, a soul, a soul cake. Please, good missus, a soul cake. An apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry. Anything to make us merry. One for the devil, two for hell. Three for her who heard his yell. She mumbled the rhyme, threw a mouthful of dessert, spitting crumbs onto my blouse. Blasphemy, I said to Rowena. Oh, sorry. Sophia wiped her crumbs off my shirt. She coughed. Cake's a tad dry. She coughed again, then wheezed, face turning blue. She dropped her cutlery, hands clutching her throat, coughing. Sophia, darling, are you all right? Gertrude, can you come help? Is she choking? I asked. Not if she's choking, Gertrude said. Can you swallow? Sophia shook her head, her face now purple. I'll tend to her. Gertrude handed her tray off to Nathaniel and took Sophia, her eyes bulging, by the shoulders. No one, no one besides me or Rowena and Nathaniel seemed to notice this poor little gasping woman being led away. I got the plum, the red phantom announced from across the room, holding up a blackened pit. Disgusted and irked, I pulled Rowena aside. We must go. I insist. Without goodbye, we made our way to the coat room, eager to escape quietly. 
There were several door closed doors from which to choose. I chose poorly, opening the door to the library, releasing a blur of cats. A herd dashed past me under, the, under and around my legs, turning away from the door. I grasped Rowena's arm. Never mind our coats. Rowena pulled free and poked a finger at my chest. Ha! You owe me a dollar. A kitten must have tangled itself in Rowena's hem, and she squealed. I reached out for her and tripped on another feline at my foot. My misstep resulted in a fall against the door. The one prudence had stopped me from entering. When my shoulder fell against the handle, I grabbed it to, to right myself, banging the door open. The bathroom, Rowena screamed. Gertrude was kneeling over a sprawled Sophia, Sophia's limbs jerking. Her lips had flattened, her face black. She stared blankly at the ceiling. A gory puddle of blood ran underneath her neck and into the floor drain. Gertrude clenched a small, bloodied knife. It was necessary, she said, glancing up at me. I had to make a hole to allow air into her lungs. I put a cold hand to my neck, my Adam's apple bobbing. A tracheotomy? I, I thought that only worked if you had a tube to keep the hole open. Alas... This was in her throat. Gertrude held up a bloodied ball. A cherry pit. A crash bellowed from the banquet hall, followed by a high-pitched scream and a collective meow. More screams. I ran for the arch doorway, littered with dishes and glassware on the floor. Chairs went overturned as women shrieked away from the cats. Little bees scampered across the table, knocking over candles, burning tapers, sent spinning by paws, a whiff of sulfur, a sizzle, then a whoosh. The entire length of the oak table went ablaze with the paper mache decor and tablecloth in high flames. Swirling costumes caught flames. Cats hissed and howled. One dashed towards me, its tail light. I stomped on, on the tail, extinguishing the flames. Another furry fireball darted to the drapes, which immediately burst into flames and spread. People tripped and fell, hands crawling, frantic to escape. The acrid smell of burnt hair and flesh inundated me. Legia sprinted past. A door opened and closed. Her light footsteps ascended the staircase, pattered overhead, then over the banquet's hall ceiling. The chandelier swayed and crashed with a terrible explosion of glass and flames. Let's not follow her, I said to Rowena. Rowena? Rowena lay on the floor, dangerously close to a crackling drape. I dropped to the ground and called and crawled commando style beside her. Where's the exit? Rowena asked with a smoky bark. She clutched a black cat under the crook of her arm. My poor dear desperate to, to save my poor dear, desperate to save something. The windows were blocked by flames. The entryway, I couldn't see it through the smolder. Gertrude's form stumbled past me like a white flag floundering her escape. Follow her, I cried. We caught up and kept near her. Gertrude opened a door. The band, their grave melody wafted in and smoke trailed out, its path-like fingers pointing the way. The symphony's sorrowful Circe's uh, continued while... Rowena and I ran out the front window, or the front door, <laughs> the front door, stumbling over Gertrude's body. She had fallen to her knees and crouched at the door frame, succumbing to the fumes. The vo viola screeched behind us just before the archway collapsed, trapping the flames and screams inside. The gate, Rowena exclaimed. Ligeia's gate had been disassembled and moved to the middle of the main street. Those mischievous buggers. Damn mob of idiot kids. Piles of white wooden beams and wood and latches, the neighborhood's gates blocked the firemen's entrance. We ran down the hill, driven by the smoke. Since we'd been the last to arrive, my carriage sat outside the property line. The horses neighing and snorting, Rowena and I climbed over the blockade, 
her cradling the kitten in her arms, coddling and stroking its fur, whispering calm words into perked ears, even being going so far as to call it Pluto, its name as dark as our doomed evening. Horse-drawn fire engines stood by impotently, police cabs surrounded onlookers who come to watch, bearing witness to the home's demise. Our driver navigated the road cautiously, hands shaking as they gripped the reins. Though evening, an orange haze spread across the horizon. It looked like dawn was breaking. I continued to observe the firmament behind me. The light changed color, turning red, stars no longer visible through the sickly sweet-smelling vapor. A layer of soft ash had already built up upon the carriage door. Do you see that, Edgar? Rowena asked, pointing skyward. A widespread of emerald green. There, in the orange haze, I saw the grotesque, the green creature in the sky, which had out a heroded harad. Its wings spread wide. Although all true stories end in death, this cat will not be my ghost. Not this night, the story. Nor this night, the story I tell. I hope you enjoyed listening to that short horror story feature on the author podcast show. More horror will be heading your way every Friday through Halloween. For more information about the show, or if you'd like to contact me, please visit laureneason.com. Have a wonderful spooky season, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.